0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, to the double feature podcast. You're going to be listening to something a little bit different
1: today because it is not just a double feature. It is actually our end of the year roundup yeah, I was going to say there's no double feature technically if we if we want. Yeah, yeah. If you want to split wanna,
0: hairs, here. you want to be a Debbie Downer. So yeah, this is actually our end of the year roundup because we've been doing this for actually six months now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about that you know, when we started it was just like a thing that we were doing because we were bored during the middle of the pandemic but you know, it's kind of morphed at least into something that we've enjoyed enough you know, kind of found some sort of uh, it's been a little bit of a a, uh, I've learned a lot along the way, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
0: this has been a feeling out process for how to do a
1: podcast, how to like
0: actually do a film podcast and kind of what we should be looking for, for like the films we watch, what we like about them, things like that. And that's kind of why we are doing this little end of the year roundup. So we're going to do this in two parts. This is going to be the best part, what we liked about the year, what we thought worked well and the good. And then we're going to get to the bad stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, there's going to be some Oscars, yeah. there's going to be some Razzies. Yeah. But no need to think about the bad tonight. We're only going to be thinking about the good. Um, we are it, it, the, the rules here, it's just like a show style. We've we've narrowed down some categories that Dean and I want to talk about specifically. And uh, we're going to end up choosing, you know, the cream of the crop in that category. Mm. Of which we will find some way to make sense of that. Just a little bit. In the near future. Um, And along the way, you can scream into your podcast player and say that we're idiots if we choose the wrong thing. But
0: on the note of choosing the wrong thing, let's get started by talking about the things that we thought worked really well. We're going to get started by the namesake of the show. What was the best double feature we had all year? Yeah. And David, we got four here that you, me, some of our lovely listeners chimed in about what the best double features of the year were. Why don't you list them off
1: for us? Right, so certainly one of our favorites this year has been Time Bandits and 12 Monkeys. We have the first episode ever, Back to the Future and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. We had one of our favorite Halloween episodes, Reanimator in and Colorado Space. And then finally, a really good, iconic double feature in that of Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Show.
0: Yes, we have those four, and let's kind of talk a little bit about each one. You know, give each the each their due, and why did we like them? Why did these kind of make the cut as the top four? And then we'll we'll pick up best one. Right. So, Time Bandits and Twelve Monkeys. Why did we like this one?
1: You know, this one for me was really um, this was I think where we started to nail down. It, speaking up from it, not from the merit of the two films. This is, uh, for me, a conversation we had that really started to nail down what we were looking for when doing this show, and the, the, uh, the journey to, to look at this director, Gilliam, and his themes, and his work as an auteur, really was an enjoyable conversation, but on top of this, I think these two films are really iconic pieces from Gilliam's catalog, because there's certainly more famous things like Brazil. Um, the Zero Theorem, I think, was is, is a notable one, or the recent uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. On top of any of the Python films, it's like there are certainly more iconic ones, maybe, but um, Twelve Monkeys is a certifiable masterpiece. Yeah. And Time Bandits was kind of this surprise, like though it's his most commercial film. Uh, it's
0: definitely in the ballpark of commercial Terry Gillian movies.
1: It also has some of these elements to his filmmaking that thematically cross over to 12 Monkeys and kind of create this dichotomy between an innocent world and a world that is devoid of innocence.
0: Man, honestly, thinking back on it, all I can remember... The best part about that episode was us just talking about Time Bandits and kids' movies for like... 40 minutes
1: yeah
0: we because I'll I'll agree with you the themes in those movies are great there's a whole thing about the fantasy world the joy um, Terry Gilliam's trying to really play on that whole whimsy and childhood and the fantasy life and never give up on that even if you grow old and then you also have 12 Monkeys which is a whole other can of worms I think I think you're right it's a certifiable masterpiece it's a great film And I think the best part about that episode, honestly, was I think that's where we finally figured out what we really wanted to do with the podcast, was instead of us really looking for the best pair, or the best one of the two, it was, well, we found a great pair of films. And that's kind of what the double feature kind of started at, and then it kind of didn't make it there, and then we kind of turned back to it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, while I don't think these are probably the most parable of Gilliam's catalog, I certainly think that you could probably, if you wanted to, dissect that a little more. These were really more our favorite picks of his. Yeah,
0: my family's big on Terry Gilliam, so these were the two that I kind of liked the most from when I was younger.
1: Yeah, and, um, yeah, so I I think that was one of my favorites. Um, The next one on the list... Back to the Future and Raiders of Lost Ark, first episode, but certainly an iconic pairing. Oh yeah, that one was, that one
0: was really fun because I remember you asked, "Hey, we're gonna, you want to do a podcast?" And I was like, "Sure." I thought we'd get two or three episodes in, and then school or twenty twenty would kind of just push that out of the way. But after we did Back to the Future and Raiders, I was like, "This is awesome. This is great." I because Back to the Future. Is my favorite film all time, *Raiders of the Lost Ark* is an amazing film, and we got kind of a lot out of those movies. Yeah, we because we talked a lot about the performances, we talked a lot about the stories, and I I think the best part about that film that film parent for me was that they worked so well together for being so different because they're both different kind of movies. They're just genre films. You know, one's a sci-fi comedy, one's just a straight action-adventure film, you know, period action-adventure film, but you get my my drift. But they work so well because, oh, they're from, like, the same time period. They're both, like, that blockbuster era of the 80s. And I, I think they work perfectly together.
1: Yeah. What, what are your thoughts? No, I think that's true. I, I, both of them exemplified a very particular like we were saying in the name the name of the episode they're the two of the biggest blockbusters ever and i think that if you're ever trying to sit down and watch movies that will make you love movies that'll make you love getting a bucket of popcorn and sitting down to watch something for two hours at a time um these are the two movies that'll do it you know i mean you can't get much more and the words of, again, uh, that have passed in 2020, can't get much more theme parky when it comes to a blockbuster than these two movies. And... Uh, it's true. It's I, true. I, I just think, like, aside from everything else, looking back on it, these two are just, like, buckets and buckets of fun.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think... I don't think we've had another fun, as fun pairing until we got to Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Which... By the way, you can listen to it now on uh, the Double Feature Podcast. There's my shameless plug for the show you're already listening to. Exactly. But another pairing that we got, this is one of our, this is kind of a sleeper hit for us. This is one that kind of came out of nowhere when we were looking back at some of the episodes. But we both agreed upon it that this was one of the most in depth conversations we had on the podcast, one that talked a lot about themes, story, structure. That was and also kind of just weird gore effects. That was Reanimator and Color Out of Space.
1: Yeah, you know, this was kind of a surprise for me because Reanimator I'd never heard of let alone seen before that, that episode. Okay. But Color Out of Space I had heard of and i I'd, uh, mm-hmm. I'd been kind of excited for it. And then by the time of the you know the end of the episode Reanimator was my favorite of the parenting. I mean, it was completely surprising. It was it was perfect for Halloween because Reanimator just made me. It I keep saying it, but it made me squirm like.
0: You've been squirming for like weeks after.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a legitimately good horror movie. On top of the fact that Color Out of Space, in its own right, while it's it's a much more modern horror movie, its its idea and, and true too to the Lovecraftian subject matter, it's, its purpose isn't supposed to scare you outright in the moment. It's supposed to be a slow burn. It's supposed to be kind of terrifying, but in a different place mm-hmm. other than like just in your bones. Um, but uh, on top of everything else, it's a fantastic piece of Richard Stanley, uh, which I now respect a lot because that movie Looking back on it, in the moment it has its obvious issues, but at the at the same time, looking back on it now, I appreciate the the good bits of it much more.
0: It's it's interesting. Colorado Space is one of those films where on the first viewing, it's it's good, it's serviceable. There's some issues, and then on the second viewing, it's like, okay, this this has got a little bit more under the surface. It it ages, it ages really well. It stands up to repeat viewings. It stands up to like, you know, this kind of retrospective. And I think that's kind of why this episode holds up, where the more, I guess, far away we get from the that episode and that um, show, the more that double feature just kind of holds up really well.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah. And then we have our final double feature. And this one was my pick and... Honestly, it was just because both the films were super fun. There was not a whole lot of reasoning behind it other than, honestly, I really like musicals. And that was Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Shows.
1: Yeah, and you know, this one is probably as close to an actual like, famous double feature as we're ever going to get, I think. Uh, yeah. Maybe other than testing other ones that we find, but like... uh this one I've actually seen on marquees. And, and for a reason, these are two very similar films in certain ways where, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show is trying to be different than everything. Yes. This Little Shot Before is a much more commercial film that still banks on it being a weird, weird musical. And weird musical is just kind of like the, the thing here. It's like if you want to come together to have a really good spooky kind of time with these... Just with while wearing a clown nose, uh, I think
0: these are your picks. Yeah, I think that's the big thing about that episode for me was it was just fun. It was just fun. I think that one was one of my favorite viewing experiences because yeah. both the movies were great. I think we had a lot of fun talking about them. It was kind of a light episode. I'll give. I'll. I'll say, but honestly. Yeah. Ah, man, I kind of want to go back and, and watch those films again. Those are probably one of the... Rocking Horror Picture Show, I'll say, was one of the few films I watched after the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. But those are our four picks and our little nuggets of information on them. But, David, which one was the best double feature of the year?
1: Yeah, see, that that's really... That's where it comes down to, right? I'm going to have to put my, my pick in for... As, um, that's tough. Tough choices here. We got some bangers here. Time Bands and 12 Monkeys.
0: Time Bands and 12 Monkeys. Oh, thank God. I was I was over here being like, please say Time man's and 12 Monkeys. Because I think, don't get me wrong, Back in the Future Raiders, great pairing. Little Shop of Horrors, Rocky Horror Picture Show, super fun, but it's like this is really a fight between Time man and Soul Monkeys and Reanimated Color Cut Out of Space. That's what this fight
1: is. And I think I think this is Oscar bait a little bit here, to so to speak, because I really just think it ends up being our favorite. It's not like the objective favorite. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to a, some more objective decisions later in the show, but for we now, wanted to start with the emotional. Take yeah, before we're gonna you're give the it high us because this player. is our fucking show, guys. And <laughs> yeah, th- th-
0: this is the one we had the most fun with.
1: Yeah, and it's certainly the, at least the one too that I've ended up feeling at the end of it that I, like I was like really glad I had witnessed both of these movies together yeah. in a pairing and for the reasons that we were doing it. So uh yeah, I would say this is a good pick. Yeah,
0: honestly, if you could go back and if you went back and you needed to rewatch any of our episodes. Or even rewatch our double feature picks. Time Bandits, Twelve Monkeys, can't go wrong. Can't okay. go wrong.
1: And you know where else you can't go wrong.
0: Our next category.
1: Yes, finding a good actress with the best actress category. Yes, because who do we have? Well, first we have one Miss Shelley
0: Duvall from The Shining. You know, iconic performance. Stanley Kubrick drove Shelley Duvall insane to get that actual display of just horror, terror, just
1: exhaustion for the whole situation. Iconic performance. Hmm. And after that, who do we have? Natalia Dyer from Yes, God, Yes. A, A kind of a surprise choice, but nonetheless a very enjoyable one.
0: That's actually probably the newest film on our list cuz that was the only one that came
1: out this year I believe. Uh there were a couple that came out this year on the on the docket such as uh The Five Bloods was in there. Oh, The Five Bloods is also on there. Yeah. We're going to we're going to get to The Five Bloods. oh yeah.
0: And um who do we have after that one?
1: Uh Gene Arthur who played Saunders from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It was a very enjoyable um kind of cross between a flapper and maybe a more modern cynical take on the the role of a, a political analyst or something uh, you know a political figure <laughs> in washington
0: It's very interesting we also have a uh, susan sarandon
1: yes who she was
0: she had two appearances this year didn't she
1: yes one you didn't like at all uh yeah. in the form of Bold Durham, but at the same time rocky horror picture show it's I-
0: yeah, damn it, Janet. We love you, Susan.
1: Yeah.
0: And we, so, this is kind of where we get into the, object, the objective look at great actors. Yeah. And the actresses we have here, we have Shelley Duvall, Natalia Dyer, we have Jean Arthur, we have Susan Brandon, And this kind of encapsulates a broad spectrum of performance here. And now we have to figure out which one is actually the best performance, or at least the, the one we like the most, because let's be honest, we're not really qualified to say what's the best, but we know which one we like the most.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be fairly easy to choose for the both of us. Mm. Going through, going down the list, certainly, I mean, the first one that I think, maybe maybe this is a process of elimination to the obvious choice, right? Yeah. Jean Arthur was a nod because while she's, she, she was an energy in that movie that needed to be there, but even still kind of stereotypical in a way, a very good uh, foil to, um, the, you know, the main character, but- m-
0: it, m- Played by Mr. Jimmy Stewart.
1: Right, and at the end of the day though, I, I, I still believe that there you know are other performances on this list go above and beyond the call of duty um now natalia dyer was an interesting choice because i didn't think you actually liked it that much
0: honestly so yes god yes was one of our earlier episode and maybe not early it was we it was midway pre- through the run it yeah. was midway through the run of the year and yes god yes was paired up with juno and we'll get to juno in another time spoiler spoiler alert, alert. But I thought Natalia Dyer was the best part of Yes, God, Yes. Okay. She gave in a very good performance. I, like, felt sympathetic to her. Granted, I, I thought the concept of the film was a little mm, suspect. But then it was like, oh, it's a period piece. Different times, different place. All these other things about the movie. And it, it's one of those things where the movie is a, you know, B-plus movie, A movie, A-minus movie. It, it, it's a good movie. It's not, you know perfect or masterpiece it's a very good movie and the best part was natalia dyer like i thought she was fantastic in her role
1: yeah a very i i loved the kind of it's not dark comedy per se but it's very kind of uh deadpan i think in a way and uh, she does a really good job at delivering it in that sense um and then you know there's obviously the two heavy hitters on this list Um, yes the um seasoned actresses now i i kind of believe that susan Sarandon in uh rocky horror picture show while being in a heavy hitter movie is also though i will give her that she's an incredible singer in that movie um and it has her moments with like the, the animation and the energy still i i feel like that movie everything is overshadowed by tim curry so it's like it's true, yeah,
0: and that's not even a gripe at Susan Sarandon because she's also the only actress here who's who's
1: pulled double billing here. Yeah, granted, Bull Durham, you know, it, Dean has different opinions. I got on different that. opinions on that of, one. I don't particularly share. So it's
0: it's fine, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I think her performance in Rocky Horror, which is what she was nominated for for this, is solid. I think she turns the service to performance. I think it's a very good performance. I think it's fun. You can tell she's having a blast doing it. Um, her song, her solo song, um, Touch Me, is awesome. It, yeah, it's, it's just good. a lot of fun. And But it's true. She is one of those actresses in the film that gets overshadowed by the raw charisma that is Tim Curry in drag. Yeah,
1: the absolutely legendary role of Dr. Frank.
0: But that only means one. The queen of the double feature, Miss Shelley Duvall, who turned in probably one of the best performances of her career in The Shining that was not understood on its release. She received a Razzie for her performance.
1: Sacrilege.
0: Sacrilege for The Shining. Arguably a master... Or actually, it is a masterpiece. I don't want to say it is a masterpiece. Yeah. Stay, one of Stanley Kubrick's like... Not one of Stanley Kubrick's like okay movies is a goddamn masterpiece. All right, that period. And Chloé Duvall is a linchpin of that film, or her playing across from Jack Nicholson, and everything about her performance in that movie just screams, "I am a woman in in a abusive marriage, but I'm sticking together for my
1: son," and she just exudes that it every scene she's in yeah and, and despite the the controversy that is apparent of the method in which some things were directed upon her i think she takes it and creates this this energy in that film that parallels the audience's raw fear of s- such a raw situation so the, there's nothing really more to say about it i really do think that cut and dry our winner the best actress category is Shelley Duvall.
0: Clap, clap, clap for Miss Shelley Duvall. Yes,
1: play the play the exit music. She's already had too much time on stage.
0: Geez, <laughs> Stanley, calm down. But next, that leads us into our best actor category, Oof. and our best actor category. Sorry for the ladies in the audience, but we had six. We had four picks for our best actress. We have six for our best actor, and that's not an offense to any of the. Women of the audience is yeah, just...
1: Yeah, there were, there was just a lot... There was a lot as far as the the best actor category had to offer. And, you know, I think... It, let's list the names.
0: And you'll understand why.
1: And then, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the discussion afterward.
0: We're going to start with one of the... The actor that, when we were making this list, was on the list first and foremost. He, as soon as we realized we were going to... Make this episode. He he was he was already slammed down, and that is Delroy Lindo for Five Bloods.
1: Just a whoa performance! Like, oh my god, he is it, it a doesn't get master. You, it doesn't get you at first. So if if you haven't remembered, because this was one of our very first episodes. Yeah, I
0: believe it was our first director's episode. It was the yeah. Five Bloods and
1: Do the Right Thing. That was the Spike Lee episode. Exactly, and you know this was a, this is a character who's you know. MAGA country Trump supporter but also a Vietnam veteran
0: mm. he's African-American he's very proud of his heritage and yeah it's a very yeah.
1: it's a very you don't see this character very much yeah and it's an interesting choice on the part of um Lee because you know it I don't think it's any surprise yeah. that Spike Lee's probably anti-Trump all the way you
0: do I'd be willing to put those words in his mouth, yes,
1: yeah, and you know whether or not that 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 is your political opinion or not, I think it's I think it's an interesting choice for him to still tackle that section of the population in this movie, which is kind of separate like the the story is technically separate at all from that, oh yeah, and in we talked about this a bit in the episode too that this character is one of the only real portrayals i've seen of such a such a character
0: yeah he's he's also one of the best portrayals of like ptsd in a film that feels real and not yeah. the rambo because, version and of then,
1: ptsd and they do a fantastic job of deconstructing this kind of like i say vilified in in the sense that 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 is what it seems to be in pop culture Mm -hmm. and like taken to like a psychological level that completely breaks down the entirety of the character from this sort of stereotype to a very deep and complex human psyche we understand we
0: understand why he's made every decision, every wrong decision, and every good decision up to that point in his life in that movie, based on the two hours, three hours he's on screen. And it just keeps going deeper into this heart of darkness. And that's also the other point is we had our opinions on Defy Bloods. Don't get me wrong, Spike Lee, you're a good director. I think Do the Right Thing has solidified Do the Right Thing was one of your earliest films and it has solidified you as one of the most interesting directors. For like decades beyond that. Yeah. I think the Black Clansman was a fantastic film. And honestly, I'm still like okay with your remake of *Old Boy*. I think your ending's really good. The rest of the movie, we'll, we'll, we can talk, Spike. But *The <laughs> yeah. Five Bloods wasn't, you know, an amazing film when we talked about it. Do the Right Thing definitely won that double feature. But Delroy Lindo, you carried that movie on your back and you made it great every time you, you were given Time to Shine. Yeah, and then we got to move on a little bit. We got to stop gushing on on this one because we got somebody else who would really like to gush and sing and tap dance around the floor because it's Tim Curry in the most charismatic performance. Is it's Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show?
1: Yeah, it's Tim Curry. This is like it. it it's it's interesting to me because. Uh, I'm not familiar much with Tim Curry's career aside from uh, during this era aside from this and then Pennywise from it yeah which Pennywise that was a decade later yeah so yeah and that's true to call it an era is also uh, stretching the the timeline but it, it really fascinates me to see an actor take such an odd odd role Like, really, when you, like, just look at it uh, on paper, it's a, it's a transsexual.
0: Transylvanian from outer space. Yeah. Yeah, and you're also a Frankenstein spoof parody thing making a sex
1: slave. But, like, outside of all that even, it's an alien that's fascinated with human culture to the point that they've, like, weirdly emulated it. And it for their pleasure very on the nose but also super layered and 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 then it's like the show tunes and 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 pageantry that comes out of this uh is just taken by curry and like slam dunked into the the hoop because it's like
0: it's one of those things where tim curry every time he every time he shows up he sees that scenery and he chows down on it and he's like every scene i'm in i'm the center of of attention yeah, He steals every single scene he is in. And it, it's amazing.
1: It really makes me wonder, like, as an actor, you see the script for this movie. And, you, I mean, you see the script for Rocky Horror Picture Show, you're like, what is this? And then uh, he just, like, decides, you know, acting being just all that, that's all it is, just decisions. Mm-hmm. He just decides to, like, like I'm going to give this absolutely every piece of energy I have. Like, I uh, I feel like that you can't even think of the end game for what that your performance will bring you in that, because you know they're they're weren't they weren't setting out to make like a box office Smack, blockbuster. No, uh, this... this is very obviously a movie that was meant to, at the very least, just be a parody, uh, you know, a, a rebellion against mainstream norms, and what w- what it's become has certainly been nothing shy of. I mean, use that word again. But
0: I mean, if we're talking about iconic, Tim Curry as Frankenfurter is iconic. They can never remake that movie because there ain't no way they're getting Tim Curry back in the core set.
1: No, and I also don't think that there's no way you can remake the movie because it's like it's exemplar for you. It's a particular time period. What more could you do to it? It's true. It's campy beyond camp. And. Honestly, talking
0: about campy movies beyond camp, let's talk about something that's a little bit on a darker turn. Instead of that horror show, let's talk about a different kind of shambling, brain-dead horror of zombies with our next actor, Ken Foray from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And this was a very interesting choice for Best Actor. Because th- we talked about Dawn of the Dead, and our Dawn of the Dead, Sean of the Dead episode had a lot of technical problems. Yeah. We had to re-record certain sections over, we had our microphones weren't working, we had problems with the editing software. Give you a little bit of behind the scenes. But the thing that we kept along the entire line was Ken Foray is a fantastic actor in that film.
1: Yeah. He, he really is like this complex character. Uh, that is given moments to shine on screen, more than what the film actually deserves to to have. But Mm -hmm. really, it's like there's a few scenes that stood out to me that really made me believe that he had chops beyond what it allowed. I I mean, the darker scenes in the movie, like having to put his best buddy down or having to choose to. To let the girl go so they can stay behind because he's lost all hope. The All the scenes kind of in the high rise looking back on it. I'm like, those are super dystopian, but also so fascinating.
0: That is the thing. I think all of Dawn of the Dead, looking at it now, every scene in that movie is just like, it's commentating on all the hard stuff. All the crazy stuff from like 1970s America. Yeah. And it's so relevant in 2020. Yeah. It's even, it's even more relevant because now we actually have not a zombie apocalypse, but we actually have a health crisis, a health crisis, a public health crisis that kind of resembled the early stages of a zombie apocalypse back in March. Like, let's be honest.
1: Or even still, I mean, you know, looking back on this and now at the time of recording, we're, we're just in a couple days into, or even a day actually into the next stay at home order. and, What's a big problem with the whole stay-at-home order, other than like people are arguing still over whether or not we should open up and let people have their freedom, let people go to the shops and the eating areas, and all the
0: hoarding and all the stuff, goods. and you know,
1: and going back and then and, and yeah, hoarding and and, uh, and what what other things did the zombies do other than show back up to the malls?
0: And Ken Forey is the heart of that movie. He's the heart of that. That crisis in that group in that function, and he carries the scenes he's in. And honestly, it kind of chokes me up when Peter and Roger are saying their goodbyes after Roger gets bitten and he's turning and he's turning like that. They play that to the hilt, and it 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 hurts. It's a good, it's an amazing scene. But sorry, Ken, we kind of have to get on because we got a lot of people. And the next person is one of our more recent episodes. Yeah. And he got on this list, not on the skin of his teeth, but by the by the edge of his sword, that is Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride.
1: Yeah, another iconic choice.
0: Yes. If we're going with um, iconic movies, I think we uh, agreed that The Princess Bride is an amazing, iconic, great film. And Carrie Elwes is the perfect Wesley. I think every character cast in that movie is perfect for their role yeah we could have put everybody in here as a best actor actress nominee and it probably worked
1: absolutely and i think what really caught my uh, when i was thinking about why he should be on this list is a couple things uh, quite literally in that first of all his charisma outdoes anybody on this best actor list the charisma specifically and that's more than tim curry more than Tim Curry because I don't think Curry's thing is about charisma per se. It's Whereas it's showmanship is this, Curry. Because he's playing a literal knight in shining armor. It's like yeah it, it, it has to be there and he brings it to the table.
0: He is perfect. everything Errol Flynn was in 1980. Like that like it's so crazy because Cary always in that movie looks like a, looks like an actor from like the 30s playing Robin Hood. And he brings the same kind of emotion tone but it's that like super it's the
1: swashbuckling sinbad of the the 10s and 20s
0: yeah and it's it's a very good like well-studied performance and also the stunts in the film because he did all his own sword work he did all his own stunts he acted across great actors across the board very witty very witty
1: I... and you know what else that really caught me is on top of everything else i think i mentioned this but the stone cold confidence that manifests in such a still performance you know normally you when wouldn't, you wouldn't you wouldn't say still performance and think good but really it's like so there are some of those shots in that movie where i was looking at him like he's not blinking but it's the most handsome thing i've ever seen
0: it's one of those things where it's like when he's on screen he's holding the sword and he's staring down Prince Hupperdiek and he's like and you're there and you're like I'm not I'm not gay but like take me.
1: No, but it's <laughs> like there was one shot in particular where he's talking to Prince Hubbardic while his body is paralyzed from uh I think I think the neck down or something like this. Yeah, he's looking after he's been, him after him he's been tortured
0: bed. and he can't like move anymore.
1: Yeah, he's looking at him from the bed, you know, just like Leaned back, but like cool, calm, and collected. It's he literally is as still as pond water. It's it's fascinating.
0: And he gives this whole speech. He gives the two to disp- the two, the pain speech, and you're just captivated. It's it's insane. It's the thing where I think his performance is on the list because when he turns it on, you can't look away from the screen. Yeah. And that's that's kind of why he made this list. Every we're gonna go through and we're gonna say why these guys like the big point that made all these guys work. Curry's the showmanship, Ken Forey, it's that like emotion that like emotional um that rock solid emotional density. Carrie Elwes is that unflinching charisma. You can't look away from this. Don't worry Linda was that deep, deep character work. And next we have Kurt Russell from The Thing as John McCready from The Thing, Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah, this one was another surprise for me uh but even more so because when i think kurt russell i don't immediately think like dark brooding and uh methodical Mm -hmm. but this movie was really a showcase into why kurt russell needs to be given more serious roles because there are moments in this film that are perfectly charismatic and and witty and funny such as the Eugene bitch moment that is
0: oh the the opening of the oh it's so good first thing we see is he's losing to a computer at chess and he just pours a half glass of whiskey inside the computer and oh it's so good I love it it's one of the best character moments in cinema
1: yeah but on top of that too certainly more evident in the second half of the film but the 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 It's like the focus on his own character is such it's so fascinating and also like awareness of the tone of the film Mm -hmm. because any other character or or any other actor may take that character and still maintain a level of uh franticness Mm -hmm. that isn't warranted but because it's it's every other character in that film is frantic whereas kurt russell's mccready is so even so cool comic collected in the paranoia of it all Mm. and that creates such a a separation in tone from the other characters that really highlights the dark tones of the movie and it makes it such it, it highlights this isolation that i thought was perfect
0: i think that's a good way to put it like that's the key kurt russell's key in this movie and this is like the reason kurt russell's perfect is he encapsulates everything about that movie Every emotion, every turn, every thing he does just makes the movie work better. Like, the movie's already great. The Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's considered one of the best horror films. It's fantastic across the board. But, like, Kurt Russell's performance in it, just everything about the movie just gets a little bit better. Just a little bit better. Like, I think that's the thing. Kurt Russell, why he's on this list is because he complements the film so well. Everything about his performance is perfect for that film. Everything about what he's doing just enhances everything else around it.
1: Yeah. And the, the final name to brandish the list is uh, uh, then the opposite actor of now one of our winners for Best Actress, uh, Jack Dickelson makes an appearance because we again, couldn't
0: we couldn't keep him off the list yeah but, iconic, sorry
1: iconic seems to be the through line in that um
0: every actor here is on an iconic bend
1: yeah because jack torrance is, is one of the most terrifying horror movie villains and but also kind he's, of like a. he's
0: not and he's barely a villain he's yeah. just this well i i mean in the book and in all this stuff he's this Kind of run down, broken alcoholic writer who's just kind of at the end of his rope, and Jack Nicholson plays it as, um, um, Jack Nicholson guys. Like, come on, yeah. He already looks crazy as he's going in, and Jack Nicholson has probably the most debatable performance on this list because many people say it's a great, perfect performance because he plays the best villain. For the last act of the movie, you're scared of him. He's, you know, this terrifying presence. He's chasing his son around with the action. You're, Jack Nelson's going to get him. It's going to be over. Oh, my God. And then there's the other spectrum where it's like, but he, he always feels like he's on edge. He always feels like he's about to break. And it's just, I can never get comfortable around him. And I think that's kind of why he's on this list. He is the terror of The Shining.
1: Yeah, and you know, he exemplifies a certain quality of an actor of that time, where it's not that the camera needs to look at the actor, uh, it's that you need to look at the actor, right? Mm -hmm. I think now in a lot of horror, even if it's a little bit more intellectual, we're looking at what we're looking at on the screen because the camera's pointed over there, not really like- Your eyes aren't searching for anything. Whereas like there's a certain shot in this movie where it's like a slow zoom on Jack Nicholson, just like sitting in the living room of the house, Mm. stoic, lost in his head. And it's just like, you can't look away from it because it's so off, you know? And it's like, whether it's also that Kubrick is a fantastic director, Mm. um, or it's that Nicholson might literally be that clinically insane, it combines to make one of the most truthful performances. I think on the list.
0: One of the most haunting. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly haunting performance. Yeah. Well, then I think it's time to do what we do, and we should start knocking off some of the
1: the actors and figure out which one was the best. Yeah, you know, I, if I, if I'm if I'm to be fairly honest, the first couple that are knocked off the list for me. Ken Foray. I I can agree with that. You know, it's like, loved it, but it was really more of like a, well, that was a pleasant surprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it was a thing where Ken, you're a good actor, great actor, good performance, but it's, you're iconic because you embody the role, but, you know, we're, we're fighting with a lot of, with a lot of big hitters here.
1: Yeah. And then also, you know, uh, carrie El was it's like good, but again, perfect casting doesn't necessarily mean perfect acting for me. Yeah. Um, though again, nothing nothing wrong with what he did.
0: Oh God, no! Oh. Like we we will get back to Princess Bride later on. You don't have to worry. And same rule goes for Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's true. That's the thing. Kurt Russell. It's a thing where he enhances the film to like another to like another degree, but. I don't think I don't think he pulls mm, a lot out of I I don't I don't know. Like Kurt Russell is perfect for that movie, but I, I there might be another actor who can embody that role and probably not, but I don't know. I don't know. It's another thing where it's like Carrie Ellis, you're fantastic, perfect casting, but maybe not the best actor here. Yeah. Um honestly, I kind of would probably kick Jack Nicholson off the the list next. Yeah, Yes, where it starts to get quite interesting, yeah. right? Because then we're we're left with Jack Nicholson, Tim Curry, and Delroy Lindo. Three actors who... Now, Tim Curry, actual, like, iconic performance. Jack Nicholson, iconic actor. Delroy Lindo probably gave one of the best performances of the year in The Five Bloods.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to be shy about it. You're not going to be shy about it? Who are you knocking off next? No, it's not a question of who I'm not gonna. It's just immediately, I think I'm jumping right to the crown here. You're jumping to the
0: crown because I think I got
1: my pick too. Yeah, and it's been fairly obvious from the get go. But Delroy Lindo is by far, like the, by far and away. We when we watched this performance initially, there's a, we all we both know the exact moment that we knew this performance was. The best one we would see this year. And it's that monologue, POV, like his face just to the camera in the forest of Vietnam. I mean, it's like.
0: And he lays everything out. His soul is like on display for the audience, and he is just going for it. No other person on this list gives that much of a dramatic turn. And no other person on this list made you feel as sorry
1: and as into the character the, like the spectrum of emotion that is expressed by him in in this this arc is fascinating i mean there's there's absolute anguish and agony there's there's grandiosity there's remorse and uh you could even call it um saintliness maybe is mm-hmm. the word i don't know it's it was. It's such a fascinating arc that I, I, it almost makes me wonder what would happen if he was just the main point in the movie, you know, that he stole this guy. It was what was originally supposed to be more of an ensemble thing ends up being like this thing where I'm like, I really, really wish this would have just been about him.
0: Yeah, honestly, that's kind of what we have to say about Mr. Delroy Lindo. If you wanted to see his performance, go check out The Five Bloods. It's on Netflix. He is the best part of that about that movie, by far.
1: Hands down. Hands down. Hand to God.
0: But, speaking of hand to God, we gotta go to the God of the film. The guy who actually makes all the decisions, makes all the choices, the director. And, we kinda got a killer's row of directors here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's um... Again, we'll, we'll, we'll run down the list real quick, and then get into this discussion... The, the names on the list are, are comprised of Rob Reiner,
0: who did The American President, and we discovered had one of the most insanely good streaks of his run. Also, he was the director of The Princess Bride, which another film people argue is one of the best films of all time. Very good, very good director. Everything
1: he did was great. Certainly. If it wasn't for him, Princess Bride, I don't think, would be what it is. Oh, no. Um, John Carpenter, next. Another
0: two-peep director. He did Halloween, and he did The Thing. Yeah. Um, And for Rob Reiner, it's pretty obvious he's here for The Princess Bride. John Carpenter was a little interesting. I think we put him in here for The Thing, but... It's it's kinda of weird because Halloween is the icon and the thing is but the thing is arguably the better film.
1: I think Halloween is like a, a it is a happenstance of the project, whereas mm-hmm. the thing I think is deliberately John Carpenter's fault. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's absolutely his piece, whereas Halloween is more of a
0: You got a small budget, you wanna make a Black Christmas. And sequel there's probably a lot well. more
1: hands on that than just his at the end of the day, I believe.
0: Maybe, maybe. But, honestly, John Carpenter's work in The Thing. Like, The Thing is considered one of the best horror films ever made. Certainly. The I, mean, I The atmosphere th- is on point. The tension is oozing out of that film.
1: Yeah, I don't think we get the visuals of the, the monster of The Thing quite the way they are without his particular taste and what he hmm. wanted. Um, but the next one on the list has already won an award tonight for the Best Double Feature, Terry Gilliam.
0: Yes, our the man who directed our favorite films uh, or our favorite double feature of the year. And he's on here for Time Bandits, I believe.
1: I would actually say he's on here for 12 Monkeys as well.
0: Well, I mean, we got to
1: I mean, you if know, it, you best
0: know. single film director. Well, I guess a lot of people on here are double are double hitters. So
1: you know, you direct Brad Pitt the way you did in that movie, you're going to get on my list. So, I, mean, I gotcha, I gotcha. It's pretty. You know, that's what I got to say about that. But
0: but Terry Gilliam is definitely the definition of an auteur.
1: Certainly, and one that has a much different world view than a lot of auteurs, or let alone a world view, because I feel like also that auteurs sometimes don't have a defined view of the world at large. They have more of a defined view of the world in their films. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Gilliam takes that a step further to say, no, my films are about the world around you, and you better notice that I have a particular belief system about it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of a particular... Uh, direction of an actor we include this next name on the list because of the redemption arc really that culminates in one of the best Nicolas Cage movies ever mr. Uh,
0: Richard Stanley for the Colorado space
1: yeah it's like you know when you describe to me this story of a man cast away only to return in particularly uh, excellent form it, the the, the story, it's almost like the story of the director here is really what grabs me.
0: Yeah, so for those who don't know, I think we did a, a little video talking point about this. Uh, Richard Stanley, he uh, was originally attached to the Island of Dr. Moreau in the 1990s, the one that had Montbrane Kilmer, and he was pushed off the project before a lot of the film was made and became one of the worst films ever. But that kind of cast him out of Hollywood. And he hadn't made a feature-length narrative film until Colorado Space 20-something years later. And he comes back swinging for the fences. Yeah. Because,
1: yeah. It makes you wonder why they would ever lose faith in this kind of man. I mean, it, you know, it's a, maybe it's also an unfair comparison, too, because The Island of Dr. Voreau was a much larger production than this oh much
0: larger Yeah. which
1: even though it does a lot with the the small kind of area that the film covers um is nonetheless kind of a smallish production
0: yeah yeah the film actually didn't have that much of a it actually i don't even think colorado space was even half the budget of um island of dr moreau yeah and honestly it, it's kind of nice because richard stanley he's one of the he's a director who's coming back on the scene and this is his I'm back and you you gotta get ready. Cause we have, you know, Rob Reiner, John Carpenter, Terry Gilliam, and each one of them are established, you know, directors who know what they're doing. They know their shtick. They know exactly the kind of filmmakers they are. They're in tune with that worldview. And then Richard Stanley, I think he's in tune with what he's what what he's got. He knows what it's going on and he's ready to make his next one which is I believe an adaptation of the Dunwich Horror another Lovecraft story and I can't wait for that to come out. Certainly. And we have another director here who's maybe not new but newer than John Carpenter and Terry Gilliam
1: but maybe even suffers the same redemption story arc of having created one of the most controversial films and also then coming out with one of the most revered films of, the, of a year. This being Ryan Johnson for Knives Out.
0: Yes, and his redemption from the Star Wars film that he uh,
1: directed. Well, the, the Star uh, Wars film that shall be not be named. Yeah, you know exactly which one we're talking about—the one with the flying dead body of an actress who had already passed away. It's a little bad taste, <laughs> but you know, Ryan Johnson,
0: who his, hes here for Knives Out, and yeah. Knives Out was one of our most enjoyable films.
1: It's it's I've since uh, watching it last year, which it's it's odd to think that it's a year old now, uh, it's become one of my top five favorite films of all time.
0: It's true. It's true. All the, all the little things about the film, the nuance, the characters, the story, yeah. um, the direction itself, how the scenes lay out, are very smart. Everything seems so meticulous in, in the film. And I think we can owe a lot of that to Ryan Johnson. It's yeah. it's interesting. We have two kind of opposite ends. We have Richard Stanley who's coming in with this is smaller budget art house horror film, high concept, and then we have Ryan Johnson here who is coming in with this more big budget established genre film, but he reinvents that genre. I mean, we haven't seen the the big budget you know whodunit film in decades.
1: No, we have not.
0: But yeah, so that's our directors and I think this is uh, where we' saying kind of got a yeah figure this it one, out.
1: this one's a little less cut and dry right I mean we we, have less, not, yeah. we didn't really have like a preconceived decision on this one whereas others we certainly did yeah and um, my immediate intuition here is to knock out the two who had one phone on the list I mean
0: I kind of that way the issue here so we have richard stanley ryan johnson they only had the one film everybody else had two but the quality of *Knives out in colorado space was
1: very high which is exactly the reason i'm going to say something that you're not going to like and it's that oh boy the first elimination i really think needs to be made off the list is john Carter because as much as i i really do believe that the thing the monster is such a, a step above an a, a director's uh, accomplishment on, of most movies on this on this list because again what he did for practical effects but also then did for what effects could be shown on screen in that movie was unlike anything else and the problem being that I think Halloween's a steaming pile of garbage. Aside you, from, you just aside, hate <laughs> you just hate Joy. No, I don't hate Joy. It's it's iconic. It's it's a it's a it's a jam of its genre. But also, if I really look at it with objective eyes, I'm like, this movie is not made very well. <laughs> um, and it hasn't it hasn't
0: aged beautifully in the. 40 years it's been out. Yeah, so... I I'll, I'll, mean, give, I'll give you that. It's a very 70s slasher flick.
1: We might have a different conversation when it comes to getting all these skate films and other uh, films in John Carpenter's catalog, but for now, I okay. think there's a couple other directors on the list that deserve a little bit more praise. I'll
0: see John Carpenter, but... I think we should probably move to Terry Gilliam being knocked off. Oh, okay. Now, just to throw it in here. Now, we're even saying, you know, we're not... Terry Gilliam was a hard pick because it's the culmination of... His, he's a very outtour director. Time Bandits, It's our favorite double feature. Time Bandits was a great film, kids movie, and 12 Monkeys, great performances, high concept. But... Overall, if we looked at each one of those films by themselves, I think Time Bandits has its, has its issues. That's
1: her in the And 12
0: Monkeys, I think 12 Monkeys also has issues as well. I think it's the thing where you were you clouded by the the power that is Brad Pitt's acting. Because, you know, there's some design choices and things within 12 Monkeys that are... Sus. A little sus to say the least. Yeah. Time bandits, you know, there's a few things in there that are a little very indulgent for the director. And I think that's that's the thing. Don't get me wrong, Terry Gellion's a fantastic director.
1: Yeah.
0: But we have here Rob Reiner for Princess Bride, Richard Stanley for Call of Space, and Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. And then we have Terry Gilliam and we can't even decide which one of his films he should be nominated for.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's a fair assumption. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to even go even further into now talking about how the writers, the, the directors having like a, a hand in writing their films. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, if I'm going to then knock somebody else off almost immediately, you'd think that the American president would be the one that where I'm like, well, frankly, it's a fairly by-the-books film. Yes. Aside from its premise, there's nothing extraordinary about it.
0: It's true, it's true. And it, it's a, uh, which is weird because it's an Aaron Sorkin
1: script. Yeah. But it, well, I think, like we determined, it's, it's pretty much a romantic comedy at the end, at the end of the day with mm-hmm. national proportions. But, it, however, The Princess Pride is such a, again...
0: Iconic. Your favorite word of the day
1: it's such a tour de force of There, I don't know it's it's kind of like how time bandits has this quality of being a kids movie that is fantastically above its level mm. same thing with Pr- Princess Bride but I still also think that William Goldman has something to do with this
0: that's so. a big part of the Rob Reiner formula there where we have william goldman who arguably that script is untouchable for princess bride yeah it's fantastic across the board and it, it almost feels like if they had a that you could have given that script to a couple of different directors and you probably would have gotten maybe, maybe not the exact same film but you would have gotten a very very good film out of it and don't get me wrong, Rob Reiner, you have a very unique touch to your films. You have a very good, like, eye. But you know, we're don't get me wrong, Princess Bride is going to get its due. It's still coming. Certainly. But like, maybe not the best directive, maybe not the best director of the pieces we have here.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it's funny because now we've knocked off all three that have made two films on the list. Which is,
0: which is kind of strange, because we started off wanting to knock off the the one the ones and dones, but, but when we looked at the quality of each you yeah, know, effort.
1: It does come down to the quality, because again, I think, yeah, Color Out of Space is a, is a fantastic return to a form for a director who quite literally laughed out of Hollywood. Just as well as Knives Out is a proof of form. In, in the in form of a director who had had certainly pieces before this uh in the form of um uh brick is, is the it? the film if i'm correct i thought so. and um it has i think it's mark ruffalo and um
0: but yeah why it's
1: you... like brothers something uh, yeah.
0: a brother's keeper is that it
1: no it's well the
0: besides the point so that's the thing. Richard Stanley had been locked out of Hollywood. Basically left and he came back with a film arguably didn't, didn't blow up the box office but it's a fantastic display of what a director can do for his films. We have Brothers Johnson, Bloom. Brothers Bloom. Oh, Looper. and Looper, by the way. And Looper. Yeah, Looper. For God's sakes. There you go. And then we have Ryan Johnson who never like... who Once he got into Hollywood he was in Hollywood. You know, pretty consistent career. Then he made the Star Wars film and everybody's like... Okay, you're just kind of this high-concept schmuck who just makes studio movies, and then he makes Knives Out, which is one of the, it's just so smart, funny, clever, across the board. And that's what we have here. We have to decide which one of these directors is the best director for the films they were given. And Rob Reiner, he was knocked out because he was a great director, but that film was, was going to be great no matter who they gave it to. John Carpenter, The Thing fantastic film but you know a step above what he what he had done but maybe not a step above of everything else in the oeuvre of that genre and then we have terry gilliam who the picks that he was given they had their faults he was there because his auteur's vision was so strong and now i have to decide here we have richard stanley who's on the more auteur low-end indie side of the spectrum and then we have ryan johnson on that big budget a studio finally gave me a lot of money to like, just have fun with all these actors.
1: Where are we? Where are we going with this one, David? Because this is kind of uh, this is kind of a coin flip for me. I think there's one thing that ends up standing out for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if and if I'm I'm going to do again one quick check to make sure that my opinion is not clouded by a poor memory. But. The script for Colorado space, if I'm correct, is still property of Richard Stanley, yes, okay, so then this actually solidifies my point. yes, if I have to come down to it, it's a writer director duo, yes that we have here in the finals, both of them both of them
0: wrote their stories, both of them. You know, or directing their things. And before you say Stanley's film is based on it's, you know, a concept.
1: No, I actually don't even think that's, that's what I would boil it down to. Because there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with adaptations. Mm. Uh, in fact, some of the greatest films of all time come from adaptations. A lot of films like Barry Lyndon. Uh, the Godfather. Yeah, you know. The, uh, Forrest Gump it comes from a book. Jaws te- technically comes from a book. and and, you know um, it's for me it's that I feel still Colorado Space is still not as good of a script Mm -hmm. as Knives Out so if I had to boil it down to it Knives Out is such a well-oiled machine directed by such a well-oiled director at this point that that would be my choice
0: honestly I would fight you but I feel even if i did it would just reinforce your point ryan johnson you won best director for the double feature film club or double feature film
1: podcast whatever but yeah richard stanley was damn close there all i'm saying we'll we'll see what happens next with for him i mean i do think too that part of me was just a little bit dazzled by all those pretty colors <laughs> you know no, that it's a, such a good looking movie
0: yeah and that's the thing it's granted If this is what Richard Stanley comes back with, I can't wait to see what he comes out with next. Yeah, certainly. And that kind of leads us to our final category here, the end-all be-all. The one you've all probably been waiting for, where we were finally going to talk about all these movies. Our best film category. This is not our best double feature. This is the best standalone film that we watched this year. The one we had the most enjoyment, the one we thought had the most quality, that we had in a single viewing. And first up on this list is Knives Out. And Knives Out was paired with Murder by Death, a pairing that was not the best pairing, because I think we both misinterpreted what the other film was when we matched them. But, as we said before, Knives, Knives Out... Incredibly tight script, great direction. Every ensemble cast. Ensemble cast. Everything comes together very well. Well oil machine. And then next we have
1: Back to the Future. Yes.
0: Which yes. my favorite film of all time. This had to
1: go on my list. Uh, yeah, it's another one where the, the from beginning to end the script to the production demons have the editing choices. I mean, are are all impressive for a blockbuster movie at at the time of its release um that has been a lasting icon in uh film memory uh, and if we're speaking again about lasting icons the princess bride yeah i mean come on or arguably
0: you can say if you i'm, I'm just you know what? i'm gonna be a little sexist right now if you're a girl and you live in america your favorite movie or one of your favorite movies is probably princess bride period full stop I'll, i'm willing to stake my claim on that because I've yet to meet a single woman in my entire life. Well, time. You you. Dean, you're a girl. I don't know well, you're talking Who who told you? Oh. Yeah, this but has yeah. all been an act. This has all been an act, I know. But yeah, but every this is the one of the most quintessential like fantasy movies for like if you're young or whatever. It is like everybody knows Princess Bride.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's odd how much this film has permeated culture, but it really is this film takes like the, the absolute fundamentals of storytelling and the, the traditions and the, the, the more modern contemporary uh, uses of parody, the, uh, the uses of legend and, and fairy tale. Uh, it, it all comes together with, on top of a cast that does not quit Everybody. Every facet
0: everybody in this cast is fantastic
1: and and the director who brought together brought it all together to make something that absolutely has uh it it's it's tone and quality is perfect for what it is and uh yeah i mean all around it, there's the execution here is immaculate
0: speaking of immaculate execution ensemble cast perfect atmosphere we have the thing yeah which I think that's a great way to put it. The atmosphere in that film, palatable. The tension, perfect. The ensemble, cast, everyone knows their role. Everybody plays their part. And it all works. At the end of the day, everything about that movie just works. It's, the, it's a workhorse film.
1: Yeah, and you know, from, from beginning to end, it does keep you on the treadmill, uh, sweating and anxious. Because it, it, it this had one of my favorite endings of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Just that cut to black after we're unsure whether the horror has ended or not.
0: And They're, they're staring at each other. It's cold. They're about to... The base around him is, is on fire and, and the fire's going out. And they're like, well, if one of us is a thing, the other one can't do anything to stop it. Well, I guess we're just going to sit here and see how the night goes. Obviously, they're going to both freeze to death. Or one of them might. The other one, if they're the thing, we don't know. It's it's such, oh, that ending is just beautiful. It's so good.
1: Certainly. I don't know. I and mean, um, I think, obviously, I made a note about Knives Out earlier that it's a well-oiled film. Mm-hmm. Um, had the best director. As much as I'd love to give this award to it, because it's, again, top five favorite. Um, I can't really ignore the lasting cultural Effect impact. of all the other films on this list. Or one in particular. Um, we'll, we'll get to it. Don't worry.
0: We gotta give, every, we gotta give the yeah, double its we'll, due. We'll,
1: okay, we'll, give it, we'll give it its due diligence. Yeah,
0: because, um, don't get me wrong, Knives Out, well-oiled machine. But continue your point.
1: Yeah, so that, combined with then the Thing, uh, combines to make it really... Interesting cross action between like horror, but also like a thriller kind of, but also kind of an action movie, in certain elements. I mean, it's 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 odd how how many crossroads this comes together and kind of supersedes them to make like this high concept genre masterpiece. Um, that even still shows a little bit of wear and tear, but it, I I would still argue from beginning to end, all all the, all the ideas are there.
0: Yeah, so, like, so you don't want to give the the award to Knives Out, right? Yeah, and that's because it's it's going up against films that are literally iconic. Yeah, and it, it might reach that level of i iconicity later on, but it needs, it needs in due time. In due time, and then we have the thing where it's hits every point in its genre, and it supersedes, makes you know the great genre horror film. But. It, it's matched up against films that arguably are, have things that are perfect about them. We have Back to the Future and Princess Bride, two films that arguably are kind of perfect. Both of these scripts are used in actual film schools to teach screenwriting. Yeah, Both of these films have pitch perfect casting. Uh, both of these films, their stories are heartfelt, they're funny, they're exciting and both of them like Princess Bride has an ending that's just it makes you all warm and fuzzy inside and Back to Future has an ending that makes you excited to see what other adventures are going to happen now we got to kind of figure out what's going on here and I know David you want to just give it you want to just jump in and just give the the, the crown away but you know you got to give the devil its due
1: certainly I mean um and The Do, I think, like you said, there's, there's a lot of things to compare here when it comes to the legend of both of these films. But one thing I think for me, for Back to the Future, um, that sticks out, it's that I know from the get-go, rather than focusing on the concept of the film, we're also being given a product. Mm-hmm. and while I, I i enjoy the product from beginning to end you know there's the the legendary end of the film where it's the biggest sequel bait you've ever seen yeah and i'm not saying that knocks that 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 knocks a whole movie because that would be saying that a whole other film is responsible for why i think the film doesn't deserve it but that frankly it's it's a story of a particular time that needs a particular set of understanding to really kind of get into it. Mm-hmm. I believe that the Princess Bride has this timeless, uh, cross-cultural quality to it that would make this film uh, stand out all over the world. And and maybe that's not necessarily what I always will make the best film a bunch, but for this, I certainly think that when it comes to impact. Here, I am particularly focused in on it. Because of all uh, other qualities for the most part i shared in all these films.
0: It's true. It's true. I mean, Back to the Future is my favorite film of all time. I love watching that movie. It makes me incredibly happy. It takes me back to when I was a kid. And then... It's true. It is very particular of its time. It is... It, it's something that probably doesn't translate well or eh, it probably still translate but not like perfectly to other other regions other people and the story is very good because it's this kid he's you know connecting with his dad in this new way he's seeing his parents in this new light which is kind of a timeless thing but it might not hit all the notes but then you have princess bride and this whole thing is you know love friendship it's I think that's that's probably it. This year, for the double feature podcast, the best film we watched the entire year is *The Princess Bride*. I agree. Which is kind of rough because it was paired with *Willow*. And ooh, buddy, I can't wait for us to talk about *Willow*.
1: Oh, I can't wait till, till, for us to get to that uh, worst of episode because it's going to be full surprises, obvious bits um we're gonna laugh we're gonna cry but we certainly time we've done nothing but but rejoice in some of the best things we've experienced over this first year of the double double feature podcast and it, t- it certainly does nothing but get me excited for a whole nother year worth of film uh it because that putting together that list for the next year was like very
0: cathartic because we knew what we were doing
1: and it really gets me into the it makes me excited to to learn from the next year of film like i learned from even just this short run which you know it's it's odd to think about is is the most movies i've probably ever watched in one year yeah and um i'm glad that it's gotten me into this habit and this this mindset of watching more movies and thinking about the more they certainly need it since I'm in that craft. Um, so I'm very excited for what's to come, whatever the best of the next year will bring on top of whatever the worst is, but we'll get to that. Like we said, in the next week,
0: honestly, I cannot wait till we get into the next year. I'm very excited, Certainly, but for those who are interested, our next episode where we or our next episode of this little special it won't be this long I swear guys we're, it's gonna be way shorter we're gonna talk about like all the bad stuff and we're gonna crank crank that out in like a solid 30
1: or a nice 45 ah uh, you know yeah. and, uh, listen I' should talk as long, as much as I want to and as long as I want to but god damn it yeah uh, for now this has been um, a year in review for the double feature podcast and we thank you if you've joined us along so far, uh, stay with us from the beginning. Good, good for you. I mean, it's been tough, I'm sure, but we are certainly thankful for it. And if you're just joining along or if you're going to be joining us in the new year, well, we are certainly excited to have you with us.
0: Yep. And we swear it'll get a lot better. Certainly. All right. David, I think that's about it here at the uh, double feature.
1: Yeah, why don't we tell them where they can find us over the next year? You uh, can
0: find us at our YouTube channel in the frame. That is on our. That's our YouTube. You can also find us on Instagram at double feature underscore podcast. You can also find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, in Google Podcasts, and so on and so forth, and everywhere in between. David, what else do we have on these? on our YouTube channel that people might listen to?
1: A lot of things. We have, well, obviously, the Double Feature Podcast, which is the main series of what you're listening to right now. We have Two Obscure for TV, which is our kind of a hobbyist podcast about movies that are definitely not deserving of being anywhere near the main podcast, but eh, we know. certainly want to talk about for an extended amount of time. Uh, we put out a bunch of different videos, video essays, maybe even some narrative things, maybe... Maybe there will be a lot of different things. It's kind of a testing ground for us, but one in which we are going to get much more creative with over the next year. Mm -hmm. Um, And aside from that,
0: that's everything at the podcast I can think of. Oh, other than maybe you can listen to me more at the Film Club Podcast, where I talk with my girlfriend about movies we like. It's going to be super fun yes also you can check out the combining of the double feature podcast and the film club podcast
1: yes as a part of our holiday season kind of,
0: kind of wrap, programming. yeah our holiday programming. we get together to talk about our, a bunch of our favorite holiday movies Christmas movies and have you know just a good old
1: time but yeah that's about it certainly everyone we will see you in 2021 I'm sure January 1st 2021 will absolutely just wipe away all of the Things that have happened this year, there's no there's no possible way in which either a clean slate can't be had in just twenty four hours time.
0: It'll be great, guys, I swear. Yeah. Alright, bye, everybody. Have a good one.
1: Peace. Have a